Good morning. It's really lovely to be able to share with you this morning for our harvest service. And I want to begin by telling you a story. Now, it might seem a bit of a strange story for harvest, um, but hopefully it will illustrate what I want us to look at for a few minutes this morning. It all took place last Sunday. Last Sunday, Heather, my wife, went to the, the service at our home, and that left me with the four children uh, on our own in the house. And I'd been looking forward to this. It'd been a busy few weeks, and I was looking forward to some, some good time with them all together. The morning began well. We, uh, we had breakfast, and most of the cereal went in most of the mouths. So we started really well, and we had a good morning together. We, uh, we did some, some colouring and some crafts, and, uh, and there were some felt-tip pens out at one point, which is always nerve-wracking, but I think we managed it okay. We, of course, avoided glitter at all costs, and so we were doing okay. We even managed to eat some fruit. We had some, some oranges uh, while we watched the service online, and so things were going really well. But when it came to the time when Heather was about to be returning, obviously things started to, to go a little bit, uh, little bit wrong. Um, there were a few tears, um, but I pulled it together and was okay again. And, uh, and things were, were just starting to, to be pushed a little bit. It's at that point when I, I reached for um, a game. Now, I had never played this game before. In fact... I was making it up as I went along. And the game was, um, the children had to put a cushion on their head, balance it, and walk up and down the living room. Now, I know what you're thinking, it sounds really fun. And it is. You should definitely try it. You don't have to have children in the room to try the game. But it is a little warning, it is quite addictive. So we played this, this game, and, uh, and Peter was actually quite good at it. And uh, Abigail did really well as well. But unfortunately, Lucy, um, for whatever reason, just couldn't quite get the hang of it. I think there was something wrong with her cushion. Um, or, but for whatever reason, uh, Lucy was getting increasingly frustrated. So picture the scene as Heather walks back into the house, having been out. She comes in to see two of her children with cushions balancing on their heads. Uh, one of her children um, asleep and one quite cross um, because they couldn't balance a cushion on their head. What happened next was, of course, that uh, as we had lunch, we took time just to, to think back and reflect back on the morning. We talked about the things that we'd enjoyed doing, uh, the things that had happened. Um, we asked uh, Mum what she'd done at the, at the service. And as we talked, and as we looked back, Lucy realised it probably wasn't such an important thing if you can't balance a cushion on your head. It's a really silly story, isn't it? It's very silly. But here's the point. Sometimes you have to look back in order to move forward. Sometimes you have to look back in order to move forward. Lucy had to look back on all the events of the morning 
and weigh up what was important and what was worthwhile. And that helped us move into the afternoon and the shenanigans that would follow. As I've been reading through the Bible over the last couple of weeks, looking at the different accounts in the Bible which talk about harvest, looking at the <clears throat> looking at the parables in the New Testament and some of the celebrations in the Old, it struck me um, how often harvest is a time to look back in order to move forward. Harvest is like that for us even now, isn't it? I wonder how many of, uh, of us have grown things in the garden this summer. Maybe more than normal because of the unusual summer and lockdown and furlough. But as you are um, pulling up the, your potatoes or carrots or corn or peas or whatever it is that you had uh, grown this summer, as you harvest, naturally you reflect on the year that's gone on. And you think, what would I do differently if I was going to do this again next year? Would I um, prepare the soil for the carrots more? Would I put the corn in a more sheltered place? Would I space out the potatoes more than what I did this year? See, harvest is a natural stop in the year as we think what has worked well and what do I need to implement in the year that's coming up? How do I look back in order to move forward? And as we think about it a bit more, it's actually incredible what we celebrate at harvest. It's an in incredible thing, isn't it, that a tiny seed grows into a full carrot. Carrot seeds are so small. It's incredible that one potato can become lots of potatoes. Or that one tiny seed of corn can become a, a full plant with lots and lots of corn being produced. It really is a miracle. God has done all of that. God is the one who takes a seed and as it dies, enables it to produce life. He's the one who's made the soil, who brings the, the heat, the sunshine and the rain. But incredibly, he invites us to join him in this partnership. God invites us to join in this miraculous um, process and partnership in order to produce more fruit. And harvest is a time where we get to, to stop and look back on these miracles in order to live well as we move forward. What I want us to do just for a few moments is look at, at three different examples of this from the Bible, just to see how this is, is lived out in, in the scriptures and seek to apply it to our own lives today in 2020. The first example comes from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22. Let me set the scene. Noah and his family have come in out of the ark after the flood. So just to, uh, try and place ourselves in the text for a moment. Think of, of what's just happened. God has acted in might and power and judgment over sin. And yet, even in that, he has uh, invited Noah and his family to be part of what he's doing. 
It's that same incredible, unlikely partnership where God does the miraculous, but he invites us to be a part of it. And, and Noah and his family have been miraculously saved. And they're now stepping out of the ark into a whole new world. And before Noah uh, steps out to, to explore and to plant and to start living, he stops and he sacrifices to God. He takes time to reflect, to pause. And that all takes place in this environment of worship. It's as he's worshipping that God says this to him. This is the, the first mention of harvest in the Bible. As long as earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So Noah is able to look back on his salvation. He's able to look back on all that God has done. And as he does that, God um, gives him hope for the future. That God is going to be faithful. He's not going to leave him, but he's going to go ahead of him. And that each year there'll be seed time and harvest, day and night, summer and winter. The years are going to be different. But they're going to be the same. God is going to be faithful throughout. Harvest is a time where we can stop and reflect on what God has done. If we know the Lord and we're following him, then we can do, as we're encouraged in Hebrews, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on Jesus so we can stop from the busyness. We can pause from all of the strains and stresses and the things that pull at our time and resources and we can recognise, as Noah did, that we've been saved. And that not only has God saved us, but he goes with us into the future as well. And he goes with us as a faithful God who'll journey every step of the way with us. It brings encouragement and hope and purpose. Harvest is a time to stop, look back, so that we can move forward. So we fast forward through the scriptures, we get to the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus is a, quite an incredible book, really. It's not always an easy book to read, perhaps, because of its detail. But it's incredible in, in what's happening in the, in the big picture. God, for the first time since the Garden of Eden, is going to dwell with his people. His presence is going to be among the people. And so his people have been slaves in Egypt, but God has rescued them. He has miraculously delivered them. And they're now out of Egypt and they're on the way to the promised land. And as on their way... Um, God gives them lots of instructions in the book of Leviticus about what it's going to be like for a holy God to live with the people. How are people going to be able to coexist with the presence of the mighty God? And, and, and the answer is that in every detail of everyday life, the presence of the living God is going to make a difference. One of the differences is is um, going to be at harvest time. 
as the people are, remember, mid-journey, they're still on the way to the promised land. God gives them instructions for when they get there. And this is one of them. Leviticus 19, chapter 9, uh, sorry, chapter 19, verse 9, says this. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over to your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. So in Leviticus, people are, are they're stopped. Most of Levit- all Leviticus takes place in, in kind of the one sitting. They're stopped. They're looking back at what the salvation that God has, has amazingly delivered them out of Egypt. And he is moving them forward to the promised land. The book of Leviticus itself is about looking back in order to move forward. And it has in it information to help people live well when they get to the promised land. When they get to the promised land and they, and they harvest, they're going to be reminded that what they have has been given to them by God. The land they have is, is a gift. Therefore, when they harvest it, they need to leave some of uh, the crop for those who don't have land, for the poor, the homeless, the widows, the foreigners. In other words, what God has done in, in their lives will overflow into how they treat other people. What God has done in their lives will overflow and influence and affect how they treat other people. How is this a time to look back in order to move forward? I wonder for us, Have we got a chance this week maybe to just pause and look back on our own journey with the Lord? To think and remember our salvation. Just what God has done. He's brought us out of darkness into light. From death to life. From despair to hope. He's made it from from slaves to sin to children of the King. And as we look back, we, we, we know how to move forward. And as we recognise the grace we've received, it overflows into how we'll treat other people, how we'll relate to other people around us, particularly those in need. As we reflect on what God has done in our life, we become thankful. We're thankful for all he's done. We're thankful for all he's given us. We're thankful for who he is and for what he's doing. And as we look back to, we're also, we become thoughtful about how we live and how we treat others and what life is all about. There are lots more examples we could use. But for the third and final one, I want to go to what Jesus says in Luke. And Luke uh, it tells this parable that uh, that Jesus uh, that Jesus says, and he's warning us um, to be thoughtful, to be thankful, and to consider carefully how we live. And he uses the illustration of a farmer at harvest time to do that. Let me read for you Luke chapter twelve, 
verse 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, that's Jesus, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man who appointed me a judge and arbiter between you. Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I've no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. It's really interesting this parable that Jesus tells. The man in the parable seems to do the right thing. As he's harvesting, he's reflecting, he's thinking, he's looking back. He's thinking, I've got a really big harvest here. What am I going to do about it? But he doesn't thank God for what he's done. He doesn't recognise the miracles that have enabled him to have that harvest. And because he doesn't think of God, he doesn't think of anybody else. Notice he thinks to himself in verse 17. Verse 19, he'll say to himself, he's only thinking of himself. He's not thinking through why he's living or who he's living for. The parable itself is told to promote um, people to stop and think and reflect, to look back that they might move forward. Jesus says in verse 15, watch out. Be on your guard. Think, in other words, think carefully. Why, why do you want all these possessions? Why is it important that you have lots of money? Jesus is asking us to reflect, to think carefully, to look at life and consider. Harvest is a chance to look back in order that we might move forward. So what does that mean for us in 2020 in, in northwest England? Unlike centuries before us, when people have celebrated the harvest, having a good harvest probably meant that people had a, a good shot at making it through the winter months. So harvest would have been a real celebration, would have been all about dependence upon God and would have been a, a time to really stop and look back and look forward. But our modern lives are quite detached from the, from the seasons compared to what they have been in the past. So what do we need to learn? Well, I think we can reflect this morning on harvest being a, a reminder of some of the miracles we see in the world around us. It's a natural reminder that a seed dies and produces life. A small seed can produce a big crop. We see in harvest, we see God's faithfulness 
as the seasons change, as there is day and night, cold and heat, rain and sun. We see that God gives life. He promotes and, 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 and gives life. That is incredible. He provides food. And, and amazingly, he wants us to be a part of this, this miraculous process. He calls us to join in, to have purpose, to be a part of what he's doing. And as we reflect on the, the natural process of harvest, we see God's character and activity. And we're drawn and led towards the Lord Jesus, the clearest expression of God and his character. We see that Jesus dies that he might bring life. We see Jesus is faithful. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sin if we confess it. We see that he gives life and life everlasting. That he provides all we need. That he's still a miracle working God and he calls us to be a part of it. He calls us to, to journey with him, to work with him in his eternal purposes. As we start to reflect on these things, we were just lost in wonder at the amazing character of God and just what life with him can be like. Why then do we find it so hard to stop and look back? Why is reflecting on these things such a challenge? I suspect for most of us, getting ourselves sat, sat down with a cup of tea, in, enable, uh, enabling us to watch this message, has just been a triumph in itself. Life is so busy, so full, so tiring, so distracting. There are so many things pulling for our time and attention. My suspicion is not that we don't want to reflect on these things. It's just getting the time to do so takes such effort and we're tired. Neil Postman, um, I, as far as I can tell, isn't, um, isn't a believer, but this is something that he writes. He, he wrote this um, over 10 years ago. He says, as a culture, we are amusing ourselves to death. That is, distracting ourselves into a bland, witless superficiality. Henry Nouwen has written, Our greed for experience and the restlessness hosti <coughs> hostility and fantasy it generates block solitude, hospitality and prayer in our lives. Someone else goes on to say, What each of these authors and countless others are saying is that for every kind of reason, good and bad, we are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God, depth and spirit. We would like these. It's just that we are, not, we are habitually too preoccupied to have them show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non-spiritual, more interested in the movie theatre, the sports stadium and the shopping mall, and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction and restlessness are the major blocks to our spiritual lives. Harvest 
is a time to stop. Life's been busy and full. We stop and we look back so that we can move forward. I want to encourage us this week to do that. Is there a chance, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour this week, to stop, to put our phone away, to turn off the computer or the TV, to turn off the music? Maybe like nowhere, to spend time worship, privately worshipping or prayerful. To thank God for what he's done and is doing. To do as the writer of the Hebrew says, to fix our eyes on Jesus. To look back that we might move forward. Perhaps sometimes in a silly way, but a real way, sometimes we get really upset because we can't balance a cushion on our head. When God is calling us to an eternal purpose, we're just too distracted to see it. Let me finish with some words from Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. He's so good. He's so beautiful. He's so strong. He's so mighty. He's so majestic. Consider him. Look back at what he has done. That we might move forward with confidence. Amen.